You guys can have a seat. You can go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We'll be there in a little while. You can go ahead and turn there now if you'd like. I wonder if any of you um, who are parents have pictures hanging in your home of your kids, maybe along a hallway or in your living room. Probably most of us do, even people who aren't very sentimental like me. I'm not a very sentimental type. Even we have pictures of our kids in our home, and typically the older your children are, the more pictures you gather of them, the more pictures you take. And so eventually, you have enough pictures displayed that if someone walks along the hallway of your home, they can actually see all the milestones of your children. They can kind of trace the life of your kid. There'll be a a newborn picture and maybe a first birthday picture and a kindergarten picture and a graduation picture and a wedding picture. And they can kind of see all of these milestones of, of your child in pictures in the hallway. So the question that I want us to think about a little bit this morning that I want us to imagine is if God the Father has a hallway in heaven and hangs pictures of his son Jesus what pictures would you see? Now, honestly, I have no idea if there's hallways in heaven, and I don't know if they have pictures in heaven. You're just going to have to humor me a little bit here. But imagine, if you will, if God the Father has a hallway and hangs pictures of Jesus the Son, what pictures would he choose? What would be kind of the five pictures that he would want every guest who visits his home to see of his Son? Well, I don't know for sure, but I think reading scripture that that whatever pictures the father has on display of his son, it's got to include these five that I want to walk you through. Kind of these five most important pictures that we get in the Bible of Jesus the son. And so this morning we're going to look at these portraits of the son. So the first picture, not really a surprise. Of course, there's got to be a newborn picture there. Because every parent has a newborn picture of their kids. It's a requirement. You have to have that newborn pick. Here is mine of my twins, Luke and Gracie. And, and you look at that picture, my newborn twins, and what words come to your mind? Well, probably adjectives like beautiful and cute and cuddly and, and warm. And it's interesting to think about those words in association with the picture of my kids. And then think about Jesus' birth. I don't think those adjectives would describe his newborn picture. Here, here is his birth as described in Luke chapter 2. She, that is Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, to Jesus. And she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. A tiny little detail there. Not, not a lot of description given. But as best we can tell, Jesus was born among farm animals. They, they would have been around him, and he was laid in their feeding trough, which, contrary to most pictures, it would have been made or carved out of stone. And so I know there's a lot of historical inaccuracies in this painting, but it's the closest one I could find that kind of tries to capture the unsanitary nature of Jesus' birth. He, he would have been born among hay and, and dust and animal hair and dung and leftover food that had been sitting there for a long period of time. And so all of those adjectives that you associate with, with the birth of your children, they would not latch or they would not describe his newborn picture. When you think about Jesus on the day of his birth, the word that comes to my mind is actually dirty. Dirty. I know that's kind of a weird word to associate with a, 
a baby, but compared to our modern standards of clean, sanitary hospital births, it would have been nothing like that. I mean, I imagine this is before the days of running water, like Joseph would have tried to wipe him off as best he could with other, whatever rag was there. And then they laid him in with hay and it's not like brand new hay. It's whatever hay was sitting there and, and, and there's leftover remnants of food and there's, there's dust and there's hair everywhere and there's animals making noises. And, and that's the picture. And you think about that picture for a little bit and and you let it soak in for a little while and you realize that that is an incredible picture of Jesus's humility. That's what that picture looks like to me. I, I want to see Jesus as a newborn baby covered in dirt because it reminds me of how humble he was. Because here you have the creator, you have the king, you have God himself. And it was amazingly humble that he would choose to become one of us. I mean, that's a huge step of condescension. And yet Jesus chose to become a poor one of us, a humble one of us, a forgettable one of us, an easy to miss one of us, a dirty one of us born in the cold, born in the filth. And he chose that. And so when I think about Jesus, the, the words that come to my mind are not beautiful and soft and cuddly to describe the day of his birth. It's words like humiliation. I, I imagine what Satan would have felt as he saw Jesus on that first day. I think Satan probably liked it. I, I imagine him laughing. I mean, here's the creator. Here's his greatest enemy. Here's the king of kings born in filth. I can't imagine that Satan understood what was going on. That would blow his mind to think about someone choosing humility, choosing humiliation when all he wanted was glory. So humiliation comes to our mind. Second, sacrifice. Because where was Jesus like right before this? Like, like before this, he was in heaven. I mean, he, he didn't leave like a nice place like this. He left heaven to be there. In the manger, among the animals on that day. It's incredible sacrifice. And the third word that comes to my mind is love. Love, because he chose that. That's what love is. Love is the choice to sacrifice for the good of others. That's, that's what Jesus did. He chose to leave behind the beauty and bliss of heaven to be born in, in filth and squalor. So that's the first picture we see of Jesus, the the newborn baby showing us the extent of his love for us. Now you, you keep walking down the hall and you get to the second picture on God the Father's hallway wall. And this one is unusual because it's out of chronological order. It actually is capturing something that happened before the newborn pick. And it looks weird. It's kind of like when families go to a theme park and they get a black and white photo of like them dressed up like they're in the Wild West. And and they kind of burn the edges and it looks like it's really old, but you know it isn't. Well, this one is legit. I mean, it's really old and it's like way older than than a Wild West photo. This is Jesus as the eternal creator. This is the oldest picture. This is Jesus before he became the little baby in a manger. This is what we're going to read about in John chapter 1. So look with me at John chapter 1. The key here is to recognize every baby begins life in the, in the womb of his or her mother, with one exception. 
That one exception is Jesus. So John, the Apostle John, describes Jesus to us with an unusual phrase. He calls Jesus the Word. Let's look at this passage, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When John talks about in the beginning, he is consciously taking us back to Genesis 1.1. He's saying before there was a creation, there was Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity has always existed. The Trinity stands above time, without beginning, without end. And so what that means is that on the day of Jesus' birth, Jesus was already infinite years old. Right, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to imagine. That was not the beginning of his existence. In fact, there is no beginning of his existence. He has always existed. He is eternal present. Jesus, the Son. In him was life, John tells us. That means that he wasn't dependent on his mother for life. Unlike every other baby, we're all born dependent upon our mothers to survive. Jesus wasn't. Why? Because he was actually the creator of life. He created all things. So it's, it's funny to think about for a moment. This little baby actually literally created the stone that was turned into the manger that he was laid in. And he created the grass that became the hay. And he created the, the cotton plant or whatever it was that became that cloth. And here's the big one. He created his own mom. Right? He created his own mom. He is the giver of life, not dependent upon life for anyone. And so Jesus is the eternal son of God. Jesus himself says this in John 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, Abraham was born around 2090 B.C., it's around 2,100 years before the gospel accounts. Jesus is saying he already existed. But what is fascinating here is Jesus violates grammar. Correct grammar would be before Abraham was, I was. Jesus says, I am. He chooses the always present name of God, Yahweh, meaning there's never been a time before Jesus. He is always present. He is the eternal son. And the reason that God wants to show us this picture of his son is that we are so easily fooled into believing that those little plastic baby Jesuses that are in all our mangers, that that's what he is. Well, that, in a sense, that's what he chose to be on that first day, but that doesn't fully describe Jesus. He's the almighty creator. He's the one who gave life to everything. He spun the universe into existence with the word of his mouth. And so this picture of Jesus the Son reminds us that he is so much more than just a little baby in a manger. He is the eternal Son of God. So, from eternal Son of God, we keep walking down the hallway and we get to the third picture. And this is the the perfect pick. I think every one of us parents, we hopefully we have at least one perfect pick of our kids. Most aren't perfect, 
right? Because it's really hard to get our kids to sit still for long enough to take a good picture and smile well. And if they're like my kids, by the time you're actually taking a picture, they're already covered in grass stains from rolling around in the lawn with the dog. You can just never seem to get that perfect picture. But every once in a while, things line up and, and you get that perfect picture and you think that that picture could not be improved. That is exactly the perfect representation of how great my kids are. That's, I could not have a better picture than that. And so that leads us to ask, what is Jesus's perfect picture in the Father's mind? Well, let's think for a moment. What does the Bible tell us about human nature? It tells us that God created humans to rule his world in righteousness and truth. That was the plan. He created humanity to rule his entire universe in righteousness and truth, but we blew it. Right? We're all the way back at the very beginning, Genesis 3. We chose our own path. We chose sin. We chose disobedience. We chose selfishness. And the result is that all human beings from that moment forward fell into sin. And so Romans 3, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God with one exception. With one exception. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's Jesus. He's the one and only human being who never gave in to temptation. The one and only human being who never sinned. So you think about that for a moment. That means that not only did Jesus never do a bad thing, like he never lied, he never cheated, he was never violent, he never did a bad thing, he never even thought a bad thing. He was never greedy in his thoughts, never prideful, never lustful, never selfish in his thoughts. And not only did he never do or think a bad thing, but he always did the right thing. Because sin isn't only the bad stuff that you do, it's also the good stuff that you don't do. It means that throughout his entire life, Jesus always did the right thing. He always helped anyone that he could. He was always selfless, always giving. And so what is Jesus's perfect picture? Well, I imagine it's a picture of Jesus in the wilderness. This is one of the most important moments in all of Jesus's life. We read it and just keep moving through the Gospels. We don't pause long enough to think about how crucial this moment is when Jesus is led out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and be tempted by Satan. It would appear he was tempted the whole time. Satan is tempting Jesus to to have bread and Jesus says no. Satan is tempting Jesus with glory and fame and Jesus says no. Satan is tempting Jesus with power and Jesus says no. Jesus does what none of us have ever done. He fully resists temptation. And chooses obedience. He is the one and only perfect human being. And I think this picture of Jesus in the wilderness is one that the Father is incredibly proud to show off. I think the Father loves this one. Here he is. The human being you've been waiting the entire history of humanity for. The one and only perfect human being. Who finally didn't give in to temptation. Now, how would you expect life to go for this guy? The guy who is perfectly righteous, perfectly true, perfectly gracious, perfectly loving. I mean, this is the kind of guy that fathers, we, we want for our daughters to marry. These, this is the kind of guy we want to lead us. This is the kind of guy we want to run our companies. You would expect this kind of guy to have a wonderful life, but he does not. Instead, he's crucified by the world for his obedience, for his love, for his purity, for his truth. And so that leads us to the fourth picture that the father has of the son. It is Jesus 
on the cross. And I, I call this the biggest day pick. We all have pictures over the course of our lives of our biggest days. And what I mean by that is like your graduation day. I mean, you, somebody got a picture of you on your graduation day in your little hat or your wedding day. You, you have, you pay lots of money for those pictures. That's a big deal. A picture on your wedding day or a picture of when you have your first child. Those are your biggest days. Well, ironically, Jesus didn't have any of those days, right? No, no graduation, no marriage, no, no first child. What was Jesus's biggest day? What was when he hung on the cross? His biggest day, the most momentous day of his life was the day of his death. When he changed the course of human history. When he changed everything. When Jesus died on the cross, this is his biggest day. And I think this picture, this image, is is a picture that makes God the Father simultaneously incredibly sad and incredibly happy. Incredibly sad because he witnessed the extreme suffering of his son. You, You can't call yourself father and not grieve over that. So every time the father sees this picture, I think it grieves him to remember the pain that his son was in. But on the flip side, it also makes him incredibly happy. Why? Because that is a demonstration of the greatest act of love there has ever been. That is the most beautiful picture of self-sacrifice and grace there has ever been. And so I think it also simultaneously delights the heart of the father to see the extent to which his son loves us. So we look at this at this picture of this moment of incredible grief and yet incredible love. And it takes us to verses really famous one, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus is proof that God loves you. It is the clearest picture of his love for us. And so Jesus, he went to the cross. He died in our place. That's something that Peter brings out. 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25. Who, this is Jesus, committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He bore our sins in his body, on the cross. Why? Well, because that was the only way for God to be both righteous and loving. See, God has to to be righteous. He has to punish sin. There's no way around that. That's simply how the universe works. Sin must be punished. We're sinners, and so we must be punished. That had to happen. And so Jesus, in the greatest act of love ever, he literally took your sins off of you. When it says he bore your sins, it's a picture of carrying a weight. He took your sins off of you and placed him on himself so that he could take the necessary justice of God once and for all in your place. And that's the good news of the gospels. Your sins, they've been paid for. The punishment you deserve, it has been taken in full by Jesus, not by you. That's why Christianity is so compelling Because Christianity tells us religion isn't about what you do to impress God. Religion is about what God has done to save you. It's all about what he did, not about what you do. Christianity is about God's unparalleled love for you. I mean, what other religion has a story of an immense creator God who would love you so much that he would choose 
to take the punishment for all the bad things you've ever done. Yet that's what Jesus did. He took your punishment so that he could give you forgiveness. He could give you eternal life as an absolutely free gift. It tells us in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that verse is actually why we give gifts at Christmas. That's the idea behind it. I mean, why are we giving gifts to one another? It's it's Jesus' birthday, not our birthday. Well, we do it to remind ourselves that the coming and death and resurrection of Jesus is all about giving humanity an incredible gift. And so we mirror that by giving gifts to one another to remind ourselves how giving God is. So we think about this incredible gift that God has made possible for us through Jesus. But like all gifts, to have the gift, you have to receive it. You have to say, yes, I I want that gift. Please, I I would like that gift. And, And that's what the gospel message is about, that we talk about so frequently. The gospel message is Jesus has bought you an incredible gift at the cost of his own life. He has bought you eternal life with God forever in heaven. All you have to do is say to God, yes, please. Yes, I want that. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead to earn it for me. I'm done trying to earn it. I would like you just to give it to me. Thank you, God. The moment you say yes, that gift becomes yours. And you have eternal life with God in heaven to look forward to. And so this fourth picture of Jesus on the cross, it, it is a sad picture, but it is also an incredibly joyful picture. And if there's anything that has held you back from saying yes to that gift, I would encourage you, please come talk to someone here today. You can talk to Tim, you can talk to me, you can talk to anyone here. Come talk to us about what's kept you from saying yes to that gift. There's one last picture on the wall. Because God doesn't want us to linger too long on the picture of his son on the cross because Jesus didn't stay there. It was the most important day ever, but it was a day. It was relatively short. A few days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and he ascended to heaven. And and that's where Jesus is today. And so that's the fifth picture, which God really wants us to, to spend some time on, to linger on. It's the current picture of Jesus. So the picture of him today as he is now. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Interestingly, written by the same guy you were just reading, Apostle John. Wrote both Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. So turn to Revelation chapter 1 and we're going to see what Jesus looks like today. The current picture of Jesus. I don't have any painting to put up on the screen. There's no way that paint and canvas could contain what we're about to read. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 14. This is John describing Jesus today. So this is what you would see if you were in heaven today with Jesus. Verse 14, his head, this is Jesus, and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. When Jesus first came to earth, his first coming 2,000 years ago, it's described by words like weak, poor, humble, carpenter's son. Those words don't describe Jesus as he appears today. 
It's actually quite the opposite. Jesus, as he appears today, is so awe-inspiring, so glorious that you really can't imagine it. So awe-inspiring, so glorious that, that John falls at his feet like a dead man. Let's pause for a second and remember who we're talking about. John. Like, the John. The guy who walked with Jesus for years. The guy who wrote, like, a big chunk of the New Testament. He's the apostle who Jesus loves. And even he falls to the ground like a dead man when he sees Jesus as he is today. If Jesus showed up right now, we wouldn't all be hugging him. We would all be on the floor. He is that glorious and awe-aspiring at this moment. And John goes on as the book of Revelation continues. Towards the end of it, he describes, well, if you're still here when Jesus shows up, this is what you'll see. So, so here is Jesus returning to earth. Revelation 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. The current picture of Jesus is Jesus as the conquering king. It is Jesus with the armies of heaven. It is Jesus on a white horse showing up in power and majesty. He is no longer easy to ignore. He is now overwhelmingly beautiful and glorious. And and God wants us to, to linger on that picture and think about that picture for a while. Jesus as the conquering king. Why? Well, Tim, if you want to come up, we're going to close in song in a moment. But while he gets ready for that, let me, let me help you guys see why we've done this exercise today. Why have we walked through these five portraits of the sun? I mean, it's interesting, I hope, biblically, academically interesting to think about these five pictures of Jesus. The primary reason we go through this is because statistically right now is the hardest time of the year for depression and suicide. That's ironic. Why? We just had Christmas. Yeah. You just had Christmas. That's why. You just have Christmas, and for most people, yeah, there's wonderful moments in there, but there's also a ton of stress. And for most people, the holidays never quite live up to the expectations. And so you get past the holidays, and you look around at your life, and you think, man, this is just overwhelmingly sad. And so in that moment of despair, right after Christmas, what does God want us to do? He wants us to stop for a moment, and he wants us to look at these pictures of his son. He wants us to just linger in this hallway for a while and think about what Jesus reveals to us. He wants us to spend some time, yes, looking at Jesus in the manger and seeing what a picture of humble love that is. That the creator would sacrifice heaven to be here among us. And then he wants you to look at him as the eternal creator for a little while. He wants you to think about the fact that he made you, that he knew you before there was time. That he loved you before anything existed. And then he wants you to see Jesus as this perfect, sinless human being. Why? Because it's proof that Jesus isn't going to be unfaithful to you. Jesus is not going to disappoint you. Jesus is not going to hurt you. You can completely trust him. And then he wants you to spend a few minutes looking at Jesus on the cross. Remember, that was for you. He gave his life. He gave his breath so that you could have forgiveness. And then he wants you to keep walking to the fifth and final picture. And he wants you to think about where Jesus is today. Jesus is a conquering king. He is glorious. He is perfect. He is awe-inspiring. And he's coming for you. He's coming back. And so there is hope. Yeah, Christmas, this side of heaven, it's never going to live up to your expectations. Because this life isn't going to live up to your expectations. 
That's why you have the next life to look forward to. The life where you will stand with that king in his glory, in his awe, and everything will be made right. So if you'll join me in prayer, and then we're going to celebrate in song. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that you are no longer in the grave. You are no longer hanging on a cross. You are no longer filthy. You are no longer weak. You are no longer beaten. Instead, you have ascended to the right hand of power. You are covered in awe and glory. You are radiant and perfect. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that when John fell to to the floor like a dead man, that you in love and grace put your hand on his shoulder and lifted him up and told him not to be afraid. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that in all of your power and majesty that you don't want us to be afraid, that instead you want us to gaze at you and to, to think about the fact that not only are you powerful and mighty, but you are coming back for us, that you will not leave us forever in this fallen and disappointing world, that you will instead make all things new, all things right, all things perfect. And in that truth, we find hope. And so, Lord, we lift up to you anyone here today who is disappointed, who is depressed, who is despairing, who is anxious, who is sad, who is lonely. We know statistically there's a lot of us. We pray that in the midst of our pain that we would for a moment see you on your throne. That for just a moment we would remember how great and good you are. That for just a moment we would remember that it's going to be okay. Because you and your power are going to come back as our conquering king to bring us home to be with you forever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that we have in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now if you'll stand and join us in song.